0: It was such a a crash course into like identity to the point where I then turned 16 and I had a really, you know, monumental moment in my life where, you know, a friend of mine right in front of me was shot five times. And I had to really have the experience and like look back and realize my parents saw that as we have to. Get her out and get her into another uh, environment so they gave up custody so that i could go to a different environment and um live and go to a different high school and so that is very rare i i mean to have that family structure to recognize okay she's not doing well in this environment she's consistently getting herself in in situations that are dangerous i was lucky in that sense and really you know, turned a page at that point to say, okay, I think I want to take back control of my identity and how I show up in the world. So community, identity, all of that, like was my, was my high school experience. And then from that point on, I just built and built who I wanted to be.
1: (laughs) Mi gente, que lo que? Dímelo, dímelo, dímelo. What is up? Ya Tu Sabe, it's another episode of the Quien Tu podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel Martinez bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a reminder, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So each week we have a new guest join us for a very candid and vulnerable conversation around the conflict that they have experienced around professionalism versus authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Micaela Vargas. Micaela is a native of the Gage Park community on the south side of Chicago. She describes herself as a high impact coalition builder and social entrepreneur. She has over 10 years of experience in public policy, political strategy, business development, and operations. These days, She currently serves as the executive director of the Chicago Latino Caucus Foundation, where she leads the organization's charitable initiatives to support and mobilize the next generation of Latino leaders, as well as manages the caucus's legislative agenda. In addition to that work, she also runs her own company, MAV Consulting. To get a full description of her bio, please be sure to check out the show notes. Now that you have a bit more context into her bio, let's get right into the episode because it's a dope conversation. Let's start off with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword. Everyone says it, be your most authentic self, but we often don't talk about like, you know, what the hell does that even mean? Right? So for you, when you hear that word, what comes to mind for you?
0: I was actually named after my grandmother. So it has been a real golden thread for me to think about How am I showing up authentically as representing her and her legacy? So in terms of authenticity, um, it took me a while to figure this this piece out, that you have to figure out who you're not before you really show up as who you want to be. And um, I had to go through years of really sifting. Okay, okay, that didn't feel good to me. Because I'm a real feeler. Like, you just have to, you know, are you, you know, uh, do you ponder at night? Do you do you write down? I, I just feel things out, and every situation I leave, I say, okay, how did I feel about that? How did I show up? And it's not to overanalyze, but it is to really kind of figure out what you're not. And so, um, me showing up authentically is just really you know proud that I'm representing my um, my namesake, my my family, um, and really kind of showing up as the tidbits that I think are kind of my mini gifts, right? So coalition building. How am I bringing people together at a table? I feel like one of my um, authenticity points is real diplomacy. I love to bring people together and find common ground. And so, you know, the little ways that I could do that throughout my day um, really feel great to me and make me feel authentic.
1: Tell me about when you were growing up, was it easy to live up to that definition that you're describing? Because it's interesting, you mentioned authenticity, part of it is figuring out where you are not. And I think growing up, we often have these shoulds, right? Around like what we are supposed to be, or even like expectations or pressure that even our families and friends think what our life should look like. Tell me about that experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so my family, I grew up in the South side of Chicago in Gage Park, very proud of the fact, uh, born and raised in Gage Park in Chicago. and. You know, my family was interesting in the perspective of how they brought up brought me up. So they met at a community center in Pilsen, uh, in Chicago. It's a predominantly Mexicano uh, community. My father was a, a muralist and a painter and art teacher. And my, my, um, my mother was like an after school health nurse, jack of all trades. And so they met, fell in love, a Puerto Rican and a Mexican, unheard of at that time. <laughs> um, very west side story. Well, without, yeah. And um, but yeah, they they started a family and their family, the basis of our entire family has been always community driven. Um when I at the start of I want to say like eight, they had me working in the same community center, giving back, you know, like working with the kids that were always younger, like doing tutoring, um, you know neighborhood cleanup, something as simple as that was really ingrained to um, my siblings and I. And so, so kind of growing up, I always had the foundation of, okay, I think public service is at the core of my family, but also I was named after my grandmother and she was the matriarch of the family. She had 10 children moved from Mexico Durango to Chicago West side, and lived in, you know, one bedroom apartment and really kind of made a way and a pathway for her family to be successful. And so, um it was a little bit of pressure. You know, all my aunts and uncles, you know, Micaela, like it's almost like I had to really kind of live up to it. And the moment I started to really let go. Sometimes detachment allows more things in to flow. And so, um it wasn't until I just started you know, filling me out and um, listening to my inner voice, really kind of leaning in on my family uh, and their the values that they ingrained in me were the times where I felt most successful, and that was giving back. So yeah
1: there's so much I, we need to get into there i mean talk about old school your fam- your parents met at a community center like that is crazy it's so romantic at a disco
0: at a disco <laughs> at a disco <laughs> <are> not- yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's adorable it's 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 fascinating too like your description of not only the community center but but their neighborhood of of pilson right i'm i'm getting this visual representation but i'd love for you to maybe describe it first in a little bit more detail. Like, what it what did it look like? Who were the people there? You said it was majority His, uh, Hispanic, right, or Mexican?
0: Yeah, yeah. So so Pilsen is a beautiful neighborhood in Chicago, and it is so rich with culture. And so a lot of Mexicanos came there, and there was a very big Chicano movement um, back 70s, 80s, but really uh, it's centered on art through activism, or activism through art. And so my father was really a part of that movement. And so essentially what they would do is create these murals. So Pilsen's known for its murals today. It along like, very, it's like storyboarding in community. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And so <clears throat> I'll give you a prime example. So recently my father um, was part of like a committee that um, restored a mural in, in Pilsen and so it was about a uh, David Boogie Gonzalez he was an activist back in 70 in the 70s and he was a peacekeeper and this is at the time where gang violence was you know rampant through the through the neighborhood but you know people were really staying strong to to the idea that latinos don't have to be um, segregated you know cubanos and mexicanos and portoricans can you know get, get together and, and um, share great family values, but also show up in the world, you know, empowering each other, but also black and brown people. And so um, unfortunately, so there was a peace rally in which he was shot through the heart. And so they, they uh, dedicated back in uh, the 80s, a mural to him, just to kind of prove that, you know, he was fighting on the on the front line every day to bring these communities together to find commonplace. And so they recently restored that. And it's beautiful. Like it's vibrant colors, like the brightest. Think of like, uh, these are like very traditional Mexican mm-hmm. artwork that you can wear visually, like all around you walking through that neighborhood. So that's how I'd visualize it. But that's that's the beauty of that community. They really show up with their heart in the sleeve and you can see it through walking the streets.
1: I love that story. And I love, I love so many different forms of art, but in particular murals hold like a very special place in my heart because I feel like growing up art, I've seen it historically been like gatekept, right? Like you only mm-hmm. see art in, or at least my idea of, "Quote unquote quality art" was like, oh well, it's in a museum; it has to be beautiful art, right? And I went to this exhibit by Banksy, and he said, "Intention." He he said that his art, although he's like one of the most famous artists of the last decade, he was like, "You'll never see my art in a museum because of because they don't see it as quality art, right?" And he says the reason why he in particular loves street art, he he said that art belongs essentially to the community, like by gatekeeping it in museums, you limit the number of people that have access to it, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Whereas
1: the beauty that I see of art is that everyone is able to see it, right, with the murals. But my, and I'm getting goosebumps just like thinking about this, right? But when when I think of murals, I think most people think of like the beautification potentially of a neighborhood, but there's so much education that comes out of art, right? Like that example, someone is gonna walk by that and say like, wow, that's beautiful but another person may walk by and say, that's beautiful. And I wonder what this means. I wonder why Absolutely. this is placed in this neighborhood. I wonder who that person is, right? And then does the research and then has a whole other appreciation for not only the art, the neighborhood, the culture. It's, it's just fascinating. And I think for you, it's interesting, right? Like growing up in, in, in this time, in this neighborhood, I'm envisioning kind of a duality when it comes to the culture, right? Because on one side, there's gang violence, there's there's a perception that the media is putting out there of your culture and what it stands for, yet there's this completely other movement of people taking the narrative into their own hands, right? And cultivating this like, no, we're, we, we do a lot and it's not just this one negative perception that y'all are putting out there, right? I'm curious for you, like, what sort of impact did that have on your identity, this like duality of the narratives?
0: Man, I, what I'll say to that is particularly growing up in high school, I went to a local high school on the Southwest side. So essentially, you know, if you don't test into a magnet school in Chicago, you, you go to your local high school. It's like a uh, typical typical process, but mine was heavily Latino and African-American. And so what I was seeing firsthand was I was a little sheltered growing up in the sense that, you know, I didn't understand how good I had it by having a nuclear family that was together. My mother and my father were, were together. I didn't grow up in a single family home. We were, you know, low to 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 middle income. Like we, we definitely, there were some weeks where, you know, maybe the poor child's didn't make the play you know but we had always rice beans tortillas. like i we didn't have to worry right but then i step into so growing up i actually had really bad dyslexia and um didn't catch that till maybe sixth seventh grade so you know i was a average d plus c minus student in grade school so you know i wasn't a brilliant child per se but in terms of my brilliance like I showed up by making friends like I my my report card always said you know if she didn't talk as much she could really learn you know she's like really chatty she's too much of a social butterfly and um I didn't know like my mother was like just sit down listen to the teacher and I just couldn't I didn't know what was on the board. I didn't understand half of what they were saying. So I just kind of made it my own. And um, going into high school, I went to a, obviously I didn't, I wasn't able to test into a magnet school for high school. And it was my first slap in the face of, oh, I don't know who I am. And so who do I want to be? I want to be everyone's friend. And I really just want to be accepted. Like that was part of my like I think core wound. I just wanted to be liked by everyone. And at fourteen and fifteen, when you're in a school with heavy gang violence, I really fell into that. And um, you know, with the duality of going to school in a neighborhood but living in a in a uh, rival gang territory. I just, I almost felt like I had to choose, right? Like I had to choose my friends. And it was co- consistently conflicting with what my parents taught me, right? You know, stand your own, you know, take care of your community. But I was consistently denying um, that version of myself just to be accepted. And I thought, you know, the way to acceptance was, you know, protection, right? I needed a way to get home. There was at one point, you couldn't, I couldn't cross the street to go to uh, the train station, which was on uh, opposite gang rival, because I had to go back east, which means I lived somewhere else. So I had to walk it or my my mother had to pick me up because I was consistently getting into fights and falling into the wrong crowd. So it was a, it was such a, a crash course into like identity to the point where I then turned 16 and I had a really you know, monumental moment in my life where you know, a friend of mine right in front of me was shot five times. And I had to really have the experience and like look back and realize my parents saw that as we have to get her out and get her into another uh, environment. So they gave up custody of me so that I could go to a different environment and um, live and go to a different high school. And so that is very rare. I, I mean, to have that family structure to recognize, okay, she's not doing well in this environment, she's consistently getting herself in, in situations that are dangerous, I was lucky in that sense and really you know, turned a page at that point to say, okay, I think I wanna take back control of my identity and how i show up in the world so community identity all of that like was my was my high school experience and then from that point on i just built and built who i wanted to be
1: how did you start building who you wanted to be after that point okay i did it the
0: wrong way i did it the wrong way at first (laughs) okay okay (laughs) okay so what happened was i tried to be almost the exact opposite like my my brain back then worked. Okay, if that's not who I want to be, let me uh, let me go as far away as possible in, to the north side of Chicago. So mm-hmm. so I'm from the south side. Far away from me was north side, and I think southsiders will understand that because it's like a world in and of itself. Like I really never I like only hung out uh, on the south side. So I went to DePaul University. And I remember thinking, okay, this is, this is my moment. Nobody knows me. Let me reinvent myself. And so I started to like overcompensate. Signed up for every club, was part, of, like was president of my sorority with like, you know, my Latina sorority, Multiculture, which was another defining moment. Um, but I started to just, like, I think I did it in the way that wasn't authentic to me because at the core of me those experiences shaped me but with if anything i was actually trying to reject that to the point where i would run into people from high school and they wouldn't recognize me like i now growth right like there is a balance between needing to to really kind of show up and and um, you know i'm really big on consi- i'm like an extremely curious person so i'm consistently reading learning uh, it's just an insatiable Um, feeling to me to consistently learn and so I wanted to show up differently and so it wasn't until I started to merge maybe towards the end of college maybe in my first job where I started actually community organizing and being on the ground working with constituents through uh, government and politics that I understood that oh I don't have to be ashamed of where I've come from I don't have to be actually I I could be really bold about my experiences and I have to deny that part of me, but that's what makes me me. So, that those were my two my my two step process. You, you kind of had to do it wrong. Like again, you have to like figure out what's what you're not, to figure out what you are. So,
1: that's another fascinating visual. I'm just imagining you like walking down the street and casually bumping into someone from high school, and you're like, "Oh my god, hey!" And then people are like. Do I know you? <laughs> you know what oh. I mean?
0: Oh, my friends to this day they make a joke of it. They're like, "Oh, Southside Mika is out today." Like, you know, no. I, I used to... <laughs> and I, I, I wear proud. I wear very proud. Like, but it was to the point where you know I would dress a certain type of way, I would talk a certain way, I was only her- hanging out with certain people that you know all of a sudden they're like, "Wait, that's the same Mika that I used to know back then." No.
1: So, Tell me about yeah. it. What it, what did that look like, sound like, feel like from South Side to North Side Mika?
0: <laughs> okay. All right. So essentially, okay, now this is back in my day. So this was like, okay, oh six, where you would wear a jersey and you would have matching headbands. Do you remember that? Yeah. So like if you were wearing a Lakers jersey, you would wear your your yellow and purple headbands. And like <laughs> I did the crispy, the crispy, um, you know what i'm talking about like the crispy like hair the crunchy hair and you would have okay. two um bangs right in front of you that that you would straighten anyways this is a girl this is okay. totally a girl top but is this a jersey um, dress
1: could, is this what you was doing
0: well you could do a jersey dress but i did baggy jerseys and okay. then i wore joggers in air force 1
1: okay. and
0: and yeah, you know, it's just like, if that was an, oh, the other thing was matching belts with the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. so, so all of that comparatively to just, you know, how I wanted to in college. So this is how reverse it was. I never wore anything other than heels. I don't know. In I college. felt like that's like what professional people did. You know, I, I trekked it across campus in like boots and heels. I did not care. Cause I didn't want to be the joggers and gym shoes girl, but I can be casual and authentic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I loved my journey. I loved the fact that like, I tried out different like versions, I guess, of myself, but I'll be honest in the past year and a half. No, my gosh. It's been about two years now where I've gone on a real personal journey. Uh, deep, deep, you know, personal journey where I have been asking, like the next level of myself. Okay, how do I want to show up now? Now that I know the 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 things that I know, and I do wear my heart and my sleeve. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey. Therapy, spiritual experiences, all, all, all the while building my career. It's been exhausting, but very <laughs> given me a lot of hope
1: no i i appreciate that the explanation of the visual uh i think for people listening watching all of those things They're
0: even bitter. without the picture they
1: they 100 percent get it but i think even that description of the heels and the boots compared to you know the joggers and the sneakers when i entered corporate or i had my first internship my representation was just the people i worked with right so I looked at my manager as a mannequin I was like all right yo what is this outfit i'm buying that same exact outfit right. And besides seeing the representation I used to take classes in college, it was kind of like internship prep classes, where they would teach you how to be a quote unquote professional right, so they would teach you how to dress. They would tell you what to do what not to do um, how to approach certain things right, so in many ways, you know the academic institutions that we grow up in like they, they kind of prepare us for the workforce right I'm assuming did was that the similar reason as to why you started uh sort of like visually changing yourself a little bit before she answers that question let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor COVID-19 moves fast and now you can too if you feel symptoms even if they're mild you should test fast test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19 then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at treatcv19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, Well, so I was, what I started to look for was my interpretation of a mannequin, right? So I tried to look for Latinas that were doing uh, awesome, amazing things and, uh, you know, essentially mimic what they were doing and how they were showing up. So I had one particular mentor that I had had since high school into college, and I saw where she lived. I saw, you know, you, if you can't see it, then you don't understand that it's a possibility, but with her, I thought, okay, this is the exact way I should show up. But then I actually got into public service. And it was in a situation where I was working in a Latino community. And a very, very, you know, touchy, I guess you could say sensitive, part of myself is that I don't I'm not fluent in Spanish. And that just, it has never sat right with me. Like, I've never felt fully belonging to my community because I don't speak the, uh, the, the language. And then I go find a job that requires me to connect with only Spanish-speaking constituents. So I actually went to go work at a alderman's office in my same community after college. It was like full circle. So I go back to my community of Gage Park, work in an in, in aldermanic role, just kind of working with constituents on a day-to-day basis and I couldn't communicate with them. That was really, really tough for me. I started to to figure out, okay, let me just center myself. There are so many Latinos that are not fluent in Spanish and still have so much value to bring because I am in touch with my my heritage and my identity. And so I can bring that to my community and my my job, my role, not just through language. And so I started to look for different Versions of that. I've met so many people that I appreciate, and I find so much. We have a great working relationship, and they don't speak Spanish, right? So that the language, as well as the the physical, uh, how do you show up to work? I actually came to work in a satin. Okay, I'm going to give you another visual.
1: Is this like the first suit? Is this like the (laughs) first day of work?
0: So it's my first. It's actually my interview. um, Now that I think about it, so I came. And you know this is a a like community office, right? Like, can th- you you're basically out in the field. You uh, report if people have tree trims that they need, or um, their street light is out. Any city service, we represented the families in our community. I came in a satin suit with like a my Depaul portfolio, and they're like, okay, just so you know, you don't you don't have to dress up for this. Like, you're gonna be you know sitting behind a desk either majority of the day and interacting with constituents but you know what was crazy it felt good to me to to dress the way i wanted to so that's when i started to really like you know what i can show up however as long as i'm doing my job like that, that's how i'm going to show up so i started to tweak that along the way and and you know you, as long as you do a good job you can actually do uh, get away with a lot of things so
1: and And what were some of the things that you started to tweak? Because what I've found is that it's not just one day that we just show up completely different. It may be, ooh, you know what? Next time I'm gonna wear the same suit, but instead of I'm only gonna wear the top of the suit, I'm gonna wear jeans or i'm gonna I'm gonna wear the suit but without the blazer or I'm gonna wear the suit, yeah. but it's gonna be a, a blouse instead of a button up under, right? I'm gonna you know what? instead of doing a neutral color, I'm gonna add some flair to my nails. like what what sort of layers did you start? peeling back or revealing, uh, you know, and starting to get more comfortable in yourself?
0: Well, actually it started on a like mind level. So what I started to realize was like, I have a really, like, I have a creative side, but I'm not an artist. I'm not, you know, I can't, you know, make you a (laughs) mural like my father can, but how I show up in my creativity is through my personal parent, like through my personal style. And also through what was making me, I started to just feel out what made me happy. And I'm like being in creative energy did that. And so I would, uh, I actually take breaks to paint. I do puzzles while on the phone. If I have phone calls, doing uh, like putting together like like Friday nights, that's my jam. Like um, this is when you know you're 30, 31. Right. Friday night, I stay home and I do a big puzzle. Like it's, it. I don't know. It's part of now my routine of staying in my creative energy, knowing that that is a really, really authentic part of myself. It's probably passed down from my, from my parents and okay. I, I'm not artistic, but I can really add a lot of infusion of energy into the work that I do which is, you know, government consulting, really, really working with mutual relationships, building relationships across the city. I do that by staying in my creative energy. And so it's like my personal style. I don't care if I'm overdressed. Now, I used to really, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? Like now it's, it's none of that. And so I just, how am I feeling? If I feel good, I am showing up the way I want to in the world. And so those are the little tweaks that took over a decade to make.
1: Wait, so did you bring like puzzles and sketchbooks to work?
0: Okay, so I, I did and it didn't go so well. So there was a time where I had to really just take a moment about in 26, in 2018, where I had Really done a lot of the work that I had set out to do. Like I was, and we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started. But you know, I I have a history of just up leveling myself to my detriment, where I would never enjoy the journey. I would just want the feeling of being of achieving the goal I set out, and then immediately it's a human instinct to do that. Set the next goal, and so I was a con- I was on this constant um role and so i went from uh, doing constituent work um i wanted to go in international relations i ended up doing municipal uh, policy i was working at the county with uh, an elected official started to understand politics now like on the opposite side you know how do you elect somebody how do you run a campaign how do you fundraise latinos have a really really hard time fundraising But um, I wanted to really build that side of myself. And I realized this in 2018 that I cannot be my most authentic self in a nine to five. And it's because I couldn't take those breaks that I knew I needed. First of all, I don't have endless energy. I'm a very finite. I actually am very efficient when I work. I can get all the work that someone does in eight hours in three and a half. And so the other six hours, I was finding myself needing the Painting. I wanted to paint, or I wanted to create a, you know, um, do a puzzle or a journal. So something as simple as that. But I had kind of this, you know, I was a manager at the time. I had employees to kind of think about what was the the environment setting, and so I have always had an entrepreneurial spirit and said, okay, I think I need to design my own life now, and I'm gonna go um, take the risk because I'm in a in a position where you eat what you kill. So it's like, how many contracts can you get? Um, And if you don't get any, you don't have money that much. So I was like, I'm willing to take that risk because I knew I would be so much better in my job if I had the structure that supported it.
1: That's fascinating. And it resonates with me so much. I remember when I was working at Facebook, I used to get criticized because I didn't work at my desk. And for, for people that are listening and they think about the Facebook office or the Google office, like all these like really big tech companies, it's a, it's a dope office. I mean, there's art everywhere, there's snacks everywhere. There's like, there's a library where you can work and like, no, one's allowed to make any noise. There's a cafeteria. I mean, there are dozens, if not hundreds of different areas to work besides your desk. And I'm the type of person that maybe is, you know, hashtag only child, but I like to work independently. Like I get really, I get distracted really easily. So I don't like to work on my desk because people come up to you like, "Oh, how are you doing?" People just talk to you, and I just get distracted. So I like to work in like really secluded areas by myself. So people used to tell me that I wasn't being friendly, that I should spend more time at my desk. All these things, and I'm just like, "Well, you all just don't get my work style, right?" So mm-hmm. there are so many things about like the nine to five quote unquote like the corporate America way of working that i find difficult and i used to get criticized hence but i'm still getting my work done right so that idea of authenticity sort of like a conflict with traditional standards of productivity is like fascinating to me but i'm also curious for you right you you tried it though right and i'd love to get a, a an idea of what was some of the pushback that you received during that time though
0: well i mean in a very bureaucratic system like government especially because you are getting paid on taxpayer money it is it was much it was a it's a unique environment i i it was definitely an outlier for the typical corporate structure and this is why corporations are really trying to find i'm fascinated with the subject just like you are like the adam grant um like the the organizational psychology of things right and um i read this book called the four hour work week have you ever?
1: It's like, all right. So I haven't, I haven't, I had to put it down, but I'm, I'm going to pick it back up. I didn't finish. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah. It, if I win, when, when I scale my business, um, to include, you know, people in their, um, geniuses and their zones, cause I definitely don't, I have weaknesses. I hate doing invoices. I actually, <laughs> don't. I, I will delay getting paid. Because I you know, that energy that that to be in that mindset, I have to be really in um a different, you know, energy. And and all the while of like when my teachers, when I was younger, were calling me too much of a social butterfly, in the in the government structure, I was building like the times where I didn't feel like being at a computer working on a policy legislation. I would go and relationship build with the other chiefs of staff, with the other, um, you know, government affairs people, and that would add a lot of value back to my employer. So I was very lucky that my employer felt a certain type of way, but, you know, it's like an old school structure and you have to, if, if there's not a structure that is aligned with your best version of yourself, I would encourage anyone to go create it it's 100% doable like banksy like your example of him he's living so authentically he created a new genre it's completely um in our possibility and in our own right to to do that to live so authentically that we create new pathway pathways for other people to enjoy
1: yeah no i, I agree and i think a lot of people are taking that path and i think I think corporations are missing out on so much talent because of these like old school structures. But you know, I think the corporations that are gonna win are going to adapt mm-hmm. to the times and, and the demands that, that people are asking for. And I think COVID was a big reality check, right? I mean, something mm-hmm. as not simple, but a big shift that we're seeing even is just like working from anywhere, right? Like that's a huge change. So now people can incorporate the types of breaks that you're talking about and no one really knows, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> And and honestly, they don't care.
1: Yeah,
0: it's you know what it's taken a lot of load off of managers too. Mm -hmm. It's it's like they were they were also living just by like oh this is just how it's done, and now there's there was this um, um, experiment that they were doing at a corporation about uh, time blocking. So I'm a big time blocker. So you know the 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 conversation what you were saying about when people uh, approach you. And it disrupts your groove of what you're working on. That loss of productivity is exponential in those types of environments. And so um, I start. I, I time block. Like I actually have no no meetings when I try to avoid um, meetings in the morning because that's when I'm I'm my best writer. So I actually write um in the morning as much as I can. And then I, you know, put all my meetings in the afternoon if possible. And then I actually I work out in the afternoon. It, it is like the best. I feel the best. I've gotten my meals in. I don't need to, you know, check in with my, you know, anybody, "Hey, can I run to the gym?" like no. I and then I actually get a, like a bit of an energy after dinner and I don't mind going back to work. It feels good to me. So, I am like you there is external thinkers or um and then internal i'm an internal when i'm brainstorming i actually like to be in my own little bubble Mm -hmm. but people there are external thinkers that need to talk through ideas with others and i would want to see in structures that those people are grouped like i would self-select into the internal brainstormers and you know people can approach others that are um open to that kind of brainstorming session like it it would just work much better
1: i i've never actually heard the term of internal versus external thinker i'm definitely more on the internal thinking side and it's funny because my girlfriend is not an only child and i just referencing only child because i think that has a huge impact at least on me it did but uh (laughs) like we were even talking about like when we first started dating, she was like, oh, because I was like, oh, I need to feel productive as early as possible um, in order to just like have a good day, right? Like there are certain things yeah. I need to check off early in the day to just feel good about myself, right? And, I, and she was like, oh, no, yeah, like, like, let's work together. I was like, you don't get it. Like, I I can't work together. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, we're, first of all, we're not even working on the same thing. She's like, no, 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 I, we'll just, you know, be there together. And Sit I was like,
0: next to each other. yeah, Yeah.
1: And I was like, no, no, like that still doesn't work for me. Like,
0: Yeah, it was like
1: really difficult to explain, right? But
0: can I ask you something? Yeah, go for it. Well, your morning routine, what is it?
1: In the morning, I like to literally just think for two hours. Mm. And when I say think, I'm saying like I like to dream about like the possibility of whatever I'm working on, and then kind of like brainstorm around how would I get there? And then that typically informs what I'm going to do that day. And then I Hmm. go through like the to-do list. I typically, I'm now I'm starting to work out because entrepreneur stuff is is new to me, right? So I'm like maybe two to three months into this. So now I'm getting to a groove of like, I do that in the morning. I go to a cafe. That's another thing. I need to go outside as soon as possible because um, I get, I'm an extrovert. I don't necessarily, I don't need to talk to people, but I need to be around people. So I need to think as early as possible. I need to get like dream, like expand how I'm thinking about what I want to achieve. I need to see people as early as possible. Um, right after that, now that I'm caffeinated, I um, do something like on my to-do list. So I feel productive. After that I work out and then I don't care what happens in the rest of the day. I need mm. to, and I, and I typically, depending on how I'm feeling, cause I used to force myself to be creative But now I'm doing, I'm more so like leaning into like, oh, feeling creative, let me take advantage of this creative energy and do as much as possible so that it could, I can stretch it out for the week, for example, like, I need to create TikTok videos, I'm like, maybe I'm not feeling creative today, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. So like that ebbs and flows, but going outside, thinking in the morning, and being some sort of like productive to-do list, check the box, that needs to happen.
0: Oh, every every great leader that I've read about actually schedules time to think mm-hmm, Richard mm-hmm. Branson, all the atomic ha- habit, um, like lists. It, it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that prepares you. Cause you are an internal brainstormer. Like that's you can form it. Some people cannot do this. They have, they almost need that energy from other people to infuse their idea. So it becomes bigger and bigger you can do it within your own head. And so when other people just, you know, try to, to come in and intersect that, like, it just throws you off. And I 100% resonate with that.
1: Yeah. And I, and I'm, and I like to collaborate, but give me time to do it on my own first, before I connect with y'all. You know what I mean?
0: For sure. There's, there's, I mean, there, it makes no sense that you, we would place one process Um, you know, a billion humans and think it's all going to, you know, work the same way. It just doesn't. We're so unique. And, uh, you know, I just don't want to subscribe to having it. Oh, because it's just the way that it's done. So we just should change it. Or you can look at, you know, we changed our environment. If Mm -hmm. if the environment doesn't fit, then you have to do what you have to do.
1: I love that. And, And we spoke a little bit about maybe some of the pushback, that you received, you know, trying to incorporate, you know, your authenticity, and how you best work, but talk to me about some of the positives, right? Because since, you know, starting to do more of your own thing, I would assume, and maybe this is just a story that I'm making up in my head, I would assume that you've become more productive, you've become more confident and comfortable. Tell me about that, from a positive angle of you embracing more of your most authentic self, how has that impacted your work?
0: Um, I had to take a pause and, and this actually just happened yesterday. I was sitting in a meditation. I, I don't do it often, but when I do, I do feel like it really centers me. And I have to think about, you know, when you got your first paycheck back in, okay, my first job paid me like 24,000 a year. It was something like, I remember I had to make $175 uh, stretch every two weeks. I remember, like based on my student loan bills and a couple other things, I had one seventy five for myself. And mm-hmm. I would, you know, go through and make sure, okay, I spent five dollars on a, anyway, I'm twenty one at the time, mm-hmm. first job. And now, sitting in this environment that I am at, you know,', re- you know, basically requiring this is my monthly retainer. It's kind of like it you lose that first feeling of when you got your first job or your first paycheck, you're like, wow, I'm making, you know, 21,000 or $24,000 a year. Like, this is amazing. Like 175 is awesome. Now you almost have to try to recreate that experience, that feeling for you every day. Like I, I almost try to do that. um, And that is a positive for me in which I'm experiencing within my business now is okay I am so incredibly grateful I actually had to check myself yesterday because I was like how am I gonna I gotta break you know I gotta get a multiple k month and I, how do I get another client and all these things and I'm like whoa 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 looking at the market I'm actually above market rate but it's because I, I only want to work with a certain amount of clients and so I, because I know I don't have expendable energy, I'm a very, you get the best version of me. And that's why I do a lot of different work for one client. Um, and I, I'm feeling that out right now, it feels really good. And then just kind of, you know, moving that forward. And so that's, I, I'm i trying to recreate the feeling of the uh, that just appreciation for being in the position that I am in. Um, and commanding whatever your market rate is so that it feels really good, it feels really authentic and people just get the most out of me. I just am very, I'm honestly deeply happy. I love my job. I never wake up and feel like, I never feel like that. And I'm tired, there's sometimes where I'm really tired because yeah, maybe I'll work four hours one day and 20 hours on a weekend because something unexpected comes up but i get energized by it it actually i just there's no other way around it i just yeah i just would hope and would really i would never imagine having a life that i didn't feel like this so yeah, yeah those are some of the positives just of stepping into knowing myself the self-awareness that you talked about in your morning routine that's rare and i strive for that all the time every day
1: yeah i love that and and i'm so happy for you just to see the person that you've become compared to the uh to the south side north side
0: person that you were like
1: (laughs) debating back in the day but you know our journey isn't done we're still continuing to improve and, and work on ourselves i'm curious to close What's that one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to continue being your most authentic self?
0: Whatever I do in my most purest authenticity, my most purest genius or zone of genius or zone of excellence. If I just stay solely in whatever I want to own, I can really create something awesome that people would appreciate and that people would benefit from. So if I'm doing my job, and it's just my job to do, but I don't want to do it, I'm letting I could potentially let other others down that could be benefiting from it. And so that is what continues to motivate me every day. It's I, I go back to the example of Banksy and having his art just be so pure and so him. Thank God he showed up the way that he did or else we wouldn't be able to appreciate it. And so, you know, whatever I add to to the world and I do really get motivated having one-on-one sessions like talking to people about what I do because I feel like, you know, maybe that helped them that day that, Checks the box for me, I could wake up uh, the next morning and do it with so much more enthusiasm. So, just the lane that you pick is um, yours to own. And if you don't, then who will?
1: Mi there. that wraps up this week's episode of the Kim Duetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.